The Lord really put a message on my heart, and you know when he does, you just can't get away from it, and I'm so glad I obeyed him because I know he has a word for you tonight. I know he does. He wants some of you, he wants you all to get more free tonight, freer than you've ever been. I just know that with my heart. Wasn't it wonderful to be in church? I'm happy just to be in God's presence. Oh, it does to me. It was just so refreshing. It was so awesome as up there playing, hearing y'all all sing out here. It's just Oh, it just refreshes you. There's nothing like it. Well, I'm going to begin with a fun verse, Psalm 144, verse 15. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Can you say amen? Yes, the Lord is our God, and we are happy. You know, Christians to be the happiest people and the most joyful people on the earth because we have so much to be joyful for. We have so much that we can thank God for because we can be joyful because when Jesus is our Lord, then life will work out. Life just works out. Now, that does not mean that everything's going to be perfect. You know, as Christians, we have challenges, we have troubles, we have problems that we have to deal with, but we have Jesus on our side who will lead us to victory every time if we will just follow him. John 16, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. I tell you, I want to stop in a minute on that word peace. I tell you, when you're with Jesus, you can have peace. When he is in you and he's guiding and directing your life, you can have peace. But this is what he said. In the world, you will have tribulation or have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So whatever you face, Jesus has provided a way for you to overcome. And I tell you, that is good news. He paid a tremendous price so that we could live a life of freedom. You know, way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you know, they just had this wonderful communion and had such sweet fellowship with the Father. They walked with him in the cool of the garden and talked with him. How awesome that could have been. And the place where they lived, it was free from heartache. There was no trouble there. There was no pain. There's just one thing the Father asked of them. He says, or he commanded of them, you should do not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, when they disobeyed and committed that very first sin, that's when the penalty came and they were separated from the one that they loved. They were separated from the Father because of that sin. And that sin is what brought all the heartache, trouble, and the pain that is in our world today. I tell you, sin brings bondage. All sin has consequences. Even those we may consider to be just small sins, they all have consequences. See, when a Christian chooses to be obedient to God's word, the result will be joy and peace in their life. For Romans 14, 17 tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace of joy. What that scripture means is that when, when God rules, when the kingdom of God is in your life, when he rules, when you allow him to be king and rule your life, your life is going to be filled with joy and peace. But if you choose to step out from underneath that lordship and do not follow his way, then you pull yourself out from under that joy and that peace he wants to give you, and you have to settle for a life of much, much less. Again, I want to say... Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. When we, are, we are happy when we choose to obey the Lord and allow him to direct our lives. So I have a challenge for you tonight, and I want you to listen to it very carefully. This is my challenge. 
if there are problems in your life and you are bound up in some way because of that problem, maybe you're, a problem, maybe you're oppressed, you have anxiety or stress, maybe you deal with sadness, maybe you're dealing with some type of fear or depression or whatever problem you have that has you all bound up, I want you to take a close look at yourself and see, is there a sin you need to repent of to be free? Is there some kind of sin you need to repent of to be free? You know, I think sometimes Christians, we Christians, we fall into sin and we don't even realize it. We have no idea. We have become deceived into thinking that, well, what we're doing is right. There's nothing wrong with it. Many times it's a result of thinking wrong because, you know, we're in the world and it's all around us and we get to thinking like the world and we don't realize we're not thinking in line with the Word of God and, and that what we're, the way we're living and it's not really lining up with the way God wants us to live. But I want to declare to you tonight that Jesus wants you to be free from any sin that has a hold on you. God put that so strong in me. He wants you to be free from any sin that has a hold on you. Now, the Lord has shown me that there was a sin in my life that I needed to repent of that I was unaware of, that I had sin in my, in fact, there was more than one, but I'm only gonna share one of them with you. <laughs> anyway, but that particular sin has kept me in bondage and has stolen my joy and peace. Now, I've had some joy and peace, but there are times when it has really stolen it from me. And I'm gonna share that with you in just a few minutes. But first of all, I wanna talk about sin. What is sin? So I looked it up in my Bible, in a Bible dictionary, and it says sin is lawlessness. Now lawlessness is when you, is not obeying a law that God has given us. So sin is lawlessness, and sin is also, we be, be described this way, is a transgression of God's will. In other words, going against something that is God's will either by omit, omitting to do what God's law requires or by doing what it forbids. You either omit what God says to do or you do what he says not to do. And that type of transgression can occur in your thoughts, in your words, and in your actions. You know, some sins are obvious, aren't they? Lying, stealing, adultery, fornication. That's a King James word for any sex outside of marriage that's not under the covenant of marriage, that is wrong. It is sin. I know our world says it's not. It is sin. Pornography, looking at any kind of pornography, that is sin. Profanity, using profanity. Oh, how we can slip into that, into the words that aren't quite so bad. It's profanity in God's eyes. Getting drunk. And there's lots of other sins. We, we, know these, we know some things are obvious. But tonight, I want to talk about some things that we don't consider to be sin that we think is no big deal. But the scriptures tell us differently. We have to have the attitude that we will not accept sin in any form or fashion into our lives. We will not accept it. Some things, you know, we don't like to call sin. We like to call them problems. But we need to admit what is sin in our life so that we can get free? So whenever you identify sin in your life, you have to make the choice, I'm not going to allow it in my life anymore. You have to realize sin is a terrible thing. Sin leads to death. James 1.15 says, sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There is no such thing as a little sin. 
Some sins, I know, don't have as great of a consequence as others, but they can grow and bring so much trouble in your life. Here's an example of one sin that can grow and cause a whole lot of trouble in your life. And it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Very simply, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. In other words, do not judge. Very simple command as Christians, we have been commanded do not judge. So if you judge another person, you have sinned. You have sinned. The Bible's very clear about it. It talks about it over and over how judging others is a sin. So I want to give you an example of how this, this sin of judging and being judgmental and critical of others can grow, can start small, but grow and bring such great destruction in your life. Well, I'm going to take the example of a married couple. When a married couple first gets married, oh, they just love one another so much. They, all, they, they can only see the good things about each one another. And all they think about it all is all the things that they love about their spouse. They're just thinking about how wonderful they are and how perfect that they are. That's what fills their thoughts. But you know, as time goes by, you're going to be tempted to become judgmental and critical of your spouse because now you're beginning to notice some things that you do not like that they do. But you know, the problem is I see nowhere in Scripture where it's okay to be judgmental and critical of your spouse. Nowhere does it say you can do that. This is what I see. Well, let me just back up for a minute. If you begin to be judgmental and critical, it starts out small, little things. But over time, it can grow. And it can grow. And it gets bigger and bigger. And if you don't get a hold of yourself, eventually it will lead to the death of your marriage. I've seen it. So what does the Word say about how married couples are supposed to, to live and treat one another? Now, I'm not going to do a thing on marriage, just a really fast here. Women. The word says you're supposed to submit to your husband, you're supposed to be his helpmate, and you're supposed to show him and treat him with respect. And then men, you actually have the hardest part. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for her. That's hard. But I tell you what, man, you do that, your wife will submit It'd make it so much easier for her to submit and be your helpmate and show you respect. But, whether you, but wives, whether your husband does that or not, that does not exclude you. You have to do your part. See, as long as you will obey the scripture and do what it says about how marriage is supposed to work, it will last. But if you allow that sin of becoming judgmental and critical of one another comes in, it, you are on a dangerous road. It can become a habit where that's all you think about them. It's, it's horrible. It is a sin and it leads to death. James 4, 11 says, do not speak evil of one another. And I'm going to put in there, do not speak evil of your spouse. He who speaks evil of his brother or his spouse and judges them speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Who are you to judge your spouse? You might think, well, I'm their, I'm their spouse. That's why I can. No, you cannot. Who are you to judge? God is our judge. It's not your place. And if you do it, there are going to be consequences. Consequences. It can lead to great, it could lead to the destruction of your marriage. So watch out for that sin 
of being judgmental and critical of others. Now, I attacked marriage. I'm sorry. All you married people out there. But that can happen in your job. You can destroy friendships. It's such destruction if you allow yourself to be overcome by the sin of of judging others. So now to the sin the Lord has convicted me of. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. So here we see, worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. Worry will steal your joy and put you in bondage. I like the way Psalm 37, 8 says, do not fret. It only causes harm. And I can testify to you that worry and fret over something will cause you harm. It robs you of your peace, it keeps you all upset, and it can make you sick. I know that aching feeling that comes on you when you lay down at night and that worry and fret overcomes you. It's awful. It makes you miserable. But you know, I was deceived into thinking that I couldn't help but worry because you know, my problem was so big what I was believing God for. Somehow I was deceived into thinking that somehow all my worrying was was showing God my deep concern and how serious this matter is and how desperate I was for him to do something about it and to intervene. I was also deceived into thinking that my worry was somehow showing that I was causing me to be more fervent in my prayers. You know, what's the Bible said? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm fervent because I'm worried about it all the time. What deception. But worry and desperation does not manipulate God into answering your prayers more swiftly. Faith is what pleases God. And we see over and over in the scripture how that praying in faith is what works. Worry is a sin. We must resist. We have to resist the temptation to worry. It says in James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, what I've been worrying about has become such a habit. I mean, I have to resist the temptation to worry about that thing all the time. I have to resist it. I tell you what, I do not want sin in my life. Seeing worry as a sin helped me to be more determined to get it out of my life. So, you know, when we are worried, when you're worried about something, you have a problem you are worried about, and you know, well, I'm not supposed to be worried. This is a sin that I'm worrying And so what do you do? You seek the Lord and what he would have you to do in that situation. And what he says is right. And he will direct you so you you can have peace. I tell you, if you're bound up with worry and need to hear from God, it is the truth from God's word that will set you free. We go to the word of God. And whatever is bothering you, you choose to believe what it says. Because the key to overcoming any sin, whatever particular sin that you have, maybe yours isn't worry. I'm not going to ask you what your sin is. You know what your sin is. But whatever that sin is, we need to believe what God has said about that sin and how he says we can overcome it. And this is how he says how to overcome and be set free from sin. Are you ready to learn how to do that? How I'm going to overcome and be set from, free from the sin in my life. First of all, we got to pray. And this is how you pray. you got to repent you got to repent. you got to repent of that sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, you know, I find that it's hard to admit when you sin. We don't want to see our, I mean, we don't want to see ourselves as doing something wrong. 
something happened today when I went, I went to, to Sam's and bought a few things. You know, you can do, and you can do that self-checkout thing where you just do it yourself. So, and I was in a hurry, and I only had four items, you know, simple. So, I'm doing it. I really hurry, and I, I go to check out. You got to get in the line, then you have your ticket, and then I got to do three items. So, they did my ticket. They did three items. The third item, he said, well, this one's not on your ticket. And I looked, oh, I had missed one. You think out of four items, I wouldn't have missed, but I just, I just didn't see it. I was in a hurry. But you know what? I thought, oh, he thinks I was trying to steal that. And it made me feel so icky. I just felt bad. I thought, oh, I mean, why would, he doesn't know me. You know, I'm someone trying to steal this, this bag of pecans, you know. So I go back and check out. But still, even when I went past, I just thought, oh, how awful it feels to think that I would send that, you know, that someone would think that I would send that way. We need to get that way about sin. We don't want that thing in our lives. I mean, I don't want the Lord to, to look at me and see that sin that I, you know, I intentionally sinned. I don't want to get that out. Sin is a terrible thing. We must get it out of our lives. So we have to repent. You got to first of all see that what you're doing is sin and repent of it. He forgives. Now, now you may have to go to somebody and help you to pray, play you through. I know that I've had to do that. But it says in Matthew 20, 26, 41, what, this is what Jesus said. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The temptation to what? The temptation, temptation to fall back into that sin. When I, I repented, I mean, I got on my hands and knees and got on my face and I repented for that sin of worry. But I tell you, that didn't mean I never was tempted again. It came back that same day and I had to resist it. We have to watch and pray and be careful and watch it and say, no, I'm not going to allow that back into my life. And it goes on to say that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, I believe every sincere Christian in here wants, you want to do right. You want to obey God, but you know, sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes it's hard when you, when someone uh, does something that hurts you and you've got to forgive them. You have unforgiveness in your heart towards a person. Sometimes it's really hard to make that choice to, to forgive when someone's done you wrong or particularly someone's done something wrong to someone you love. But scripture is clear. You must forgive if you want to be forgiven. You know, Jesus himself wanted to obey his father. He wanted to obey his father in all things. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, it tells us in Matthew 26, 30, 39, Jesus went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed. See, Jesus in the garden, what is he doing? He's praying to his father alone. He says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want to have to go to the cross, but not as you will. But as I will. You know, sometimes the battle may really be intense when you make the choice to obey God. Sometimes you just don't want to forgive that person. They have hurt you so bad, you want to get revenge. Maybe they, they cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. Man, you want to get them back. <laughs> but you have to make the choice to obey God and forgive and know that he knows the best way to handle this situation, and he will take care of it for you. Jesus had an intense battle, and he chose to obey his father. I want to read about that battle that he had, a little more about what he went through in his prayers in the garden. I think it will help us. Matthew 14, 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. So he's, he's praying intensely. He's very intense. In Luke twenty two forty one, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down to pray and said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I tell you, Jesus, he was determined he was going to obey his father. He faced a great battle in that garden even that, even like he, he, he was is so intense in his prayer. And the struggle was so great that his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But notice the father saw him in agony. The father saw his desire to obey him in all things. And what did he do? He sent him an angel to encourage him. Isn't that just like the Lord? When you're intensely in prayer and you need encouragement, he will encourage you. He sees if you are truly sincere, he'll send what you need to encourage you and to help you. Jesus' battle in facing the cross, it was fought and won that night in prayer. After that, I tell you, he was ready to face the cross. And your battle against sin and any bondage the devil tries to put on you is fought and won in prayer. You cannot win over sin without the Lord's help. And prayer is where you get that help. One man said, a praying man will stop sinning. A sinning man will stop praying. You have to decide which one you want to be. Okay, so then once you have prayed, you've given that sin, you've given that burden over to the Lord, then it's time to fight the good fight of faith. That's when it's time to fight the good of faith. Faith is for when you've prayed about something, but you don't see the answer yet. So we fight in faith because we're going to believe what the Word has to say. No matter what we see, the circumstances don't matter. What matters is what the Word of God has to say. So this is, how you, this is a way you can fight that fight. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what does that tell us to do in our fight of faith? We have to take control of how we think. Because we decide we're going we're gonna to cast down every thought that comes. Because it will. That temptation will come to think wrong. But you're going to cast that us out and say, no, I'll not have that. The word of God says. And what's going to help you to stay strong in your thoughts is being careful what you allow yourself to see and what you allow yourself to hear. Because the word says in Proverbs 4.20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, you need to be hearing what I have to say. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. So see, in your fight of faith, you're looking at the word of God, you're hearing the word, and that gives you the strength to be able to stand against temptation and to be strong and stand in faith and live in victory. And I'm talking about not just some little casual look at the word. I'm talking about staring at the word. I'm talking about, when I talk about stare, staring at the word, I'm talking about meditation. 
meditating the word, thinking on it to where it comes down on the inside of you, to where it comes a part of you and how you actually think. I tell you, I've started doing this recently and I can't, and it has brought me freedom from this thing I have been worrying about for so long. It is a, meditation is a powerful weapon and you don't need to turn, let it aside. Well, two weeks ago, um, the pastor was preaching a message and he mentioned a scripture and that scripture kind of, I thought, I need that. So I went home and I wrote that scripture on this little three by five card. And then I started I walk in the mornings for exercise. I walk them down my street. And so while I was walking, I had my little card. Actually, not just this one little card. I had a whole bunch of other scriptures the Lord gave me, but this was the main one, okay? So I'm meditating scripture as I'm walking up and down the street, walking up and down the street. Uh, I do it for about an hour. So I'm walking and, and doing my scriptures. But what, this is what it did. And here's my scripture, and I'm going to show you how I did it. My scripture is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now here is a scripture I have heard for years. Years and years and years. You know, I'm in my 60s. So I've heard it since I was very little. I've heard it a long time. But now this very familiar verse has life-changing power in it for me and has changed me. And it comes from meditating and thinking on it and looking on it and praying about it. And that power shot out into my heart and set me free. But I had to meditate and think upon it. See, this is how it worked. I looked at this first phrase. I have been crucified with Christ. Now that's kind of an odd thing to say, isn't it? I wasn't on the cross with him. I thought, what does that mean? I, there's more to that than what I just a casual reading. I have been crucified with Christ. I got to thinking about it and praying about it. This is a spiritual truth. And I could see Jesus on that cross. The word tells us when he was on the cross that he bore the sins of the whole world. So he, when he was on that cross, he had that sin of worry that was on me, on him. And he took care of it on the cross. He took care of that on the cross for me. So I don't need to be bound by it. He's done all that is necessary to take care of that. In fact, that thing that I was worrying about, I could lay it up there with him. And saw that he paid the price for the answer to that problem. I gave that to him. But as I see that I was crucified, as I looked at that cross and saw a deeper understanding of what that meant, it set me free inside. Then it goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Have you heard that phrase, I live by faith? Heard that a lot, I live by faith, I live by faith. You know, heard that if you're around faith people, you're going to hear that. But this life I live in the flesh, as I walk around on this earth, I live by faith in what? I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen. How do I live by faith? What is that in the Son of God? I live by faith in what he did for me, what it accomplished. I live by faith in all that he said and all that he did. Because I believe in what he said. I believe in what he did. I believe that sacrifice on the cross, what he did on the cross, took care of every need I will ever have. 
It's there. If you don't see it, you need to meditate and think upon it, and you'll see it's there. He took care of it. See, that's how I live by faith, in the Son of God, in what he has done. I can have faith in what my, my Lord Jesus has done. And the second half, last part of the verse is, oh, it's so good. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. How do I have faith? Because I know he loves me. I know he gave himself for me on that cross. He did that for me. He loves me. When I faced cancer, I could have faith because he loves me. He gave himself for me. And he said, by stripes I am healed. You see, I can have faith to be free from the sin of worry because he loved me. He gave himself for me. And the word says he, was, he bore my sins and my iniquities on that cross. He did it for me so I can be free because he loves me. Don't you see how that verse set me free? Oh, it's just so much better than just reading it through once. And, oh, that's good. So I want to challenge you. You know, as you hear a message being preached or you're reading it through the Bible and the verse just kind of sticks out to you and you think, oh, man, that's kind of, there's something there. Well, that's the Lord saying, put that on a little card or put it in your phone. Start thinking and meditating. That might be the answer that you need to get free from what has you bound up on the inside. Jesus said, do not worry. That's what he said to me. Carmen, do not worry. So I can do that because I believe what Jesus said about my situation. I believe. I believe what he said. Worry is a sign of unbelief. And I hate to admit that, but worry is a sign of unbelief. And a lot of time, unbelief is not considered to be a sin anymore. It's, it's, it's well, it's just, we don't think of it as being sin, but the Word says that it is. It says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, Brethren, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Look at that first word, beware. Beware. That means you need to really take note of what I'm fixing to say. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Well, that's pretty clear. Unbelief is a sin. It's evil. In departing from the living God. In departing from his ways and doing what he says to do. But exhort one another daily while it's called today. We need to exhort and encourage one another. When you know somebody's going through something or they have a sin they're trying to get victory over or, or a problem, we got to stand with them. We need to encourage them. Lest, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It'll make you believe a lie. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In other words, this do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion is referring to the Israelites. See, the Israelites are standing right there at the edge of the promised land. And that God has said, this is the land I've promised to give you. But when the spies brought back an evil report, they decided not to believe that God would be with them that God wasn't going to help them when they went to the promised land, that they were going to all be killed. And what happened? Because of their unbelief, they didn't get to go in. They had to all die in the wilderness until another generation was raised up who would believe, who had faith, and would go in and take in and be in that promised land. You know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If you can believe, 
All things are possible to him who believes. I tell you, the devil doesn't want you to believe because he knows if you do, he loses. If you'll just believe, he loses. Unbelief is a sin. What are you having trouble believing God for? Where is that unbelief in your life? Identify it as sin. Say, no, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe him. I tell you, God wants you free, and he wants you free from whatever sin has you bound. He wants to set you free tonight. Prayer partners, will you come? And I would like for you to stand with me. We're going to have a time of prayer.